take a seat if you'd like to. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here at Faith Family Fellowship. If you're a visitor, a guest with us, we'd like to welcome you here with us this morning. If you notice in front of you, there should be a card that says connection card on it in uh, the pew in front of you or behind you if there's none in front of you. And uh, just encourage you to grab that and fill that out. We'd love to have a record of you being with us this morning, be able to reach out to you this week and see if there's anything we can do for you, anything we can pray for you about, and uh, just drop that in the offering basket on your way out. So, we have been memorizing a verse over this month, and this is our last Sunday of September, and so this will be our last Sunday in Psalm 
And so let's read it again. Next month, we will move to a different few verses uh, in Romans. And so let's rehearse it again one more time. We'll go through it twice, and we'll talk about the second half of it. And I encourage you to, uh, if you've been committing it to memory this month, to return to it and to remind yourself of it and to spend, spend some time there. It's a great, very short verse, and hope that uh, it has rested within your soul and uh, will, will lead you in glorifying the Lord for what he's done. So if you would, read with me, please. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 19, 1. One more time. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 19.1. So the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So the sky, things above you, things in the air, the birds flying through the air, clouds, weather, the stars, the moon, all the things above us, they proclaim, declare, display, yell about God that has made them. So birds don't talk, some of them do, but most of them don't. Uh, stars don't talk, uh, the weather does not talk, it doesn't, it doesn't holler at you unless giant storm coming through. But all of these things declare, show, speak, and reveal that God has made them. Not accidental, not happenstance, but God has formed them, crafted them, and are his handiwork, that he has molded them exactly how he, is, he intends it to be. So, glory to God, these things display him. So, I hope you remember this psalm. And let's pray, and pray, let's pray this psalm, and pray for our time together this morning. I want to remind you, uh, we, we will be back here this evening at 6 o'clock, and then also we will be uh, gathering again on Wednesday evening at 6.30. And so just want to remind you of those those two opportunities coming forward in the next week. And so if you would, join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that, Lord, we, we can hear uh, of your revelation that you have revealed who you are. You have revealed how this world works to us through your scripture. That you have spoken and that you have said it. That the sky above proclaims, it declares, it speaks to us that you have made it. And so, Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear, Lord, that as we see what is above us, as we see what is around us, as we see this world we inhabit, that we would not look at it uh, as just an accident, but that, God, we would be dumbfounded by the majesty of what you have made. And that we would see within it your hand upon it. Your creative, miraculous work to provide all of the things that exist. And so, Father, help us. Help us, Lord, to see. And then, Lord, lead us to praise and to sing and do the same. As you have made all things that declare your glory, that, God, we would do the same that we would declare your glory, we would speak and proclaim your goodness to the world around us, that we would not be silent, but that, God, we would boldly tell others of your goodness. So, Father, meet with us this morning. Open our eyes this morning. May we hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Let's stand as we continue to worship, as we celebrate our risen Savior, our living hope.
are so good. Lord, you're so gracious to us. God, there is no one like you. Lord, you paid the price for our sins so that we might be united with you. God, that we can be reconciled to you. Lord, I pray that in all we do, God, we will glorify you. We will seek to bring you honor and you glory. You are our living hope. God, I pray for Pastor Joel as he brings the message that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to understand that we will leave this building better equipped to serve you, God, better equipped to love you and to show your love to those around us. Thank you so much for this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. good to see all of you here and uh, those of you that are coming uh, uh, to join us by the internet we are glad to have you as well but we're especially glad to have the foremans with us today Mark and Sonny and Mark uh, is uh, in remission with his cancer he's had COVID uh, with pneumonia and uh, both of them have had COVID but uh, uh, I'm like, uh, boy, he's got some good genes, um, and the uh, Lord's been good to you, and we are, he said, I might as well come, because, uh, you know, I've had it all, and uh, so we're glad you're here, brother, and uh, may God bless you, uh, and many of you have prayed for him uh, quite a bit over uh, the last couple of years. Um, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. But he, we're not to take God too familiar. I was kind of reminded of that this past week. Uh, I am in uh, my, uh, the middle of my two-week service on jury duty. And uh, so last Monday, uh, I was in the courthouse, in the courtroom. And I noticed uh, when everybody was in the courtroom, not a single person said a word. Even the people that were up front, this is before the judge ever came in. Even the people that were working the case, when they spoke, they just whispered to one another. It was just, you know, there was just something solemn about that courtroom. And I couldn't help but think what it is like to stand before the judge. You know? And we, we have a God who sits enthroned in the heavens. And, and we need to remember that he is not to be treated too familiar. Uh, you know, he calls us friend. Uh, and what a privilege that is. But let's not take that for granted. But I will tell you, I think I've learned a secret of how to get out of jury, uh, serving on the jury. Uh, because uh, one of our church members, Russell Davis, was in the courtroom as well, serving jury duty. I didn't know he was in there. I didn't see him when I came in. And, you know, they ask you some questions, and one of the questions that they asked us that day was, have you ever been in court before? People spill their guts to a judge when 
He asked that question. And uh, I learned some things about uh, Russell, and he learned some things about me. That, uh, you know, it was just like, uh, that's interesting. Really? I didn't know that. But when I said, when the question was asked, do, do any of y'all know each other? This is how you get out. You just bring your pastor with you. Because I said, well, I know Russell. I'm his pastor. He's one of our deacons, and he's supposed to do what I tell him to do. We got kicked off, and uh, we haven't been called back yet. Uh, I'm not even supposed to show up in the morning. Uh, I've already been, uh, so I don't know. Maybe that's the way to get out of it. Uh, but you're not getting out of church this morning until I finish the message. So if you'll give your attention to God's Word, uh, I'm doing just a short series on God's church uh, I begin to think I'm going to uh, go through the names of different denominations because uh, I've titled the series Church of Christ and today's uh, title is Disciples of Christ which is another uh, denom denomination as well. Uh, we're going to probably do Assemblies of God before we're done and <laughs> Church of God and anyway. Uh, but uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 14. And I want to read a passage of Scripture uh, that reminds us that uh, being a Christian is being a disciple. They're, they're, not, uh, they're not separate from one another. They are one in the same. Uh, they are synonyms for those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, born again of God, who have been saved, converted, redeemed, who are now children of God. So being a Christian and being a disciple are one in the same when it refers to a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so uh, let me just share some verses that talk about what Jesus said. He's going to share at least four radical concepts about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 25, it says, And now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and he said to them, and here's where he begins, this radical concept. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children... And brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. Notice how definite it is what he says. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not First sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. 
And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation. And then he asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And then he gives us an illustration. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pray with me, if you will. And Father, we, we do come to the Scripture knowing that the heavens do declare the glory of God. But you have spoken to us, not just through the creation that you have made, but Lord, you have spoken to us clearly through your Word and in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, there's no ambiguity. There's no uncertainty. Uh, there is... Uh, no doubt about what you intend for us to know, for uh, we have a clear, written, eternal document that is living, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it, it pierces into our souls and does its spiritual surgery to our hearts. And we ask today, by your Holy Spirit, help us to hear Lord, not, not man's opinion, Lord, what I think and what I believe is, is inconsequential, but Lord, what you say and what the Holy Spirit conveys to us from your word is eternal and life-changing. So speak to our hearts, we do pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, there are four radical statements. There are really three radical statements, and then there's a fourth that I'm calling a radical statement, and that's that, that metaphor that he gives at the end. Uh, the first is kind of a reiteration of what we talked about last week, because last week we talked about priorities uh, in, in our lives. And uh, the Scripture here as it begins, it, it speaks of priorities. And he uses some, some really uh, strange language, as it were, uh, in verse 26 when he says, if, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're born again of the Spirit of God, and you don't, and, and here's the strangeness, don't hate his own father and mother, uh, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even your own life. You can't be his disciple. That, that's some really strong language. Uh, he uh, reminds us in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's record of what Jesus said in verses 34 through 37. Uh, he says, I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. Those strange words. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He came to make peace between us and the Father. Uh, we who were once enemies. And yet he makes this statement that uh, he didn't come to bring peace but a sword. And I have to remember that while we believe in a literal Bible that every word there that is there is intentional, you don't take what the Scripture says out of the context. You have to understand what he's trying to get across here. 
he's saying that when Christ comes into your life, it causes division. It causes breakups. It's a division between us and the things of the world. We are not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. Because all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Those things we shouldn't love. So when Christ comes, it doesn't make us to be more at peace with what's happening in our world. As a matter of fact, it probably causes us to have more trouble or tribulation. Uh, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, it, it's going to be uh, costly to you. And that, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, but he says, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. And again, he goes into these relationships in verse 35. I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother. And on it goes. Verse 37 says, whoever loves his father or mother more than me. So now uh, we've got an illustration of comparison here, a metaphor of comparison. And you and I have to put it in that understanding. Our love relationship with Christ should be so great that there is no other relationship on earth that can compare. Uh, one of our members asked me just a moment ago, did you get any flack from some of the things you said last week? Well, yeah, I did. Uh, because we, we talked about uh, uh, that. Putting uh, Christ as first place in your life and then secondly, we talked about the church being second place. And uh, I, I believe we've taught things wrongly. And I want to address that yet again. Uh, because of what he says right here. Uh, he says again in verse 37, uh, Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So he is talking about a love relationship with Christ that so supersedes anything else, uh, any other relationship that it appears to be as uh, hating our, our, our family. So is, is the Lord telling us to hate our family? Well, absolutely not. Uh, but what we've done is we've distorted uh, the teaching of Scripture. We've, we've, we've kind of got it all tangled up and mixed up. And uh, if you really think about what the Scripture says, it, it becomes very clear. Uh, we're taught in Ephesians that we as husband and wives are to submit unto one another. So Jesus is teaching uh, a great love relationship between a husband and wife. But he says, in the Lord. We are to submit to one another in the Lord. So he, he's reminding us in that statement what is the higher relationship. The higher relationship is our relationship with Christ. Uh, uh, again, uh, we're not going to, I made this statement last week that we're not going to be married to our husband or our wife when we get to heaven. And, and, and I know that kind of cuts against maybe the way that we think, but our relationship when we get to heaven uh, is, is going to be greater. I'm going to love my wife more in heaven than I could ever love her this side of heaven. But I'm going to do the same with everybody else. 
Uh, our children are not going to be our children. They're on loan to us this side of heaven. And uh, they're permanently his when they've been born again of the Spirit of God. As a matter of fact, when you get there, your child's going to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, I know that's hard to think. My little, my little kid, yeah, in Christ. Joint heir with Jesus Christ. Uh, he goes on in Ephesians and he talks about in the sixth chapter, children submit unto your parents. And that relationship is to be a great and a godly and a loving relationship. But it says, as unto the Lord, in the Lord rather, in uh, Ephesians uh, 6 1. Uh, he also talks about submission to authorities, those that are your masters. Uh, he talks about submission to uh, governmental authorities. So Christ is not saying don't have love relationships on earth. He's correcting our love relationships. Because you and I have to remember what's the great commandment of the Bible. In uh, Mark's gospel, uh, 12th chapter and verse 30, uh, he says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And yes, I'm going to bring up Pilgrim's Progress yet once again. Uh, in, uh, in that allegory, as Christian has a copy of God's Word and he's reading it, uh, when he reads the Word of God, he, he, this burden of sin becomes great on his soul. And of course... His friends tell him to do what? It's, it's what I've shared with you before. I had a dentist in my church, and I went to him after church one Sunday morning, and I said, hey, Doc, when I push on this molar, it hurts. And he said, then don't push on it. Well, that's what uh, Christian's friends said to him about reading the Bible. He said, uh, when I'm reading the Bible, I, get, I, I realize this great burden and the destruction that is coming. And so what did his friends say? Don't read that Bible. <laughs> get rid of that book. And I can tell you, if you get rid of that book, yeah, you might feel a little bit better, but it's not going to help you with the greatest problem that man has, that is our sin problem. And so Christian he tries to bring his family members with him, but they refuse to go. So what does Christian do? He leaves and starts his journey toward the celestial city that is heaven. A relationship with Christ. He's not far from his front door and his wife and children come out. And you know what they say to Christian what they say to what she says to her husband what the kids say to dad come back come back and do you know what Christian does Christian puts his fingers in his ears and he says life life eternal life you see he understood that while he loved his family and he loved, he loved his wife and he loved his children, there's a greater, a higher calling in our lives. And that is our relationship with the God who made us and created us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our 
sin. You know, Jesus isn't anti-family because when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the reality is you learn to love your family sacrificially. You, you learn to love each other correctly because Christ is in us. We, we're not anti-friend. Now we, we'll talk about it when we talk about the cost. We will lose friends sometimes because we're his follower. <laughs> but we will be the truest kind of friends to other people because of Christ. There's a friend that sticks closer to a brother. And we learn that kind of commitment to one another through Jesus Christ. We're not anti-social uh, when we become followers of Christ. Though society may uh, ostracize us at times, we become better uh, civilians. <laughs> we become better uh, people in our culture and in our society uh, when we become followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, so Jesus is uh, pro-family, pro-friend. He's pro-life. He calls us to lay down our lives for others. And, uh, and that makes us the, the greatest kind of person uh, to have in your life. So he's calling for a commitment to Jesus Christ, a commitment that says, I love you, but I love Jesus more than you and you know we have to be careful we really have to be careful at this point because if we back off of that kind of full devotion to Jesus Christ we will communicate to people that we do love that we really don't love God in the way that the scripture says we are to love God because our love relationship with God is to be greater than our love for those that are around us. And they won't know that. They won't experience that. They won't see that. They'll see an incongruity with it if we put them higher than our relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's not compromise and delude the truth of what it means to be a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ well that's the priority and uh, I think that's uh, the first radical statement because Jesus said if if you don't hate your family friends and culture more than you love me you cannot be not my disciple let's reverse it let's put it in a positive way if you are my disciple what will you do you'll love him more than anything else nothing can compare to the love that we have for Jesus Christ. Secondly, it has to do with purpose. Our purpose. Because there's a, there's a radical purpose that enters into the life of a believer. He says in verse 27, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He, he's not talking about suffering here. It's, it's the way we use it most of the time. Uh, we say, well, it's just my cross. I must bear. But that's not what that passage means, that verse means. Why did Jesus come? He came for one purpose. And that is that he might do the will of the Father. That was his purpose. His eyes were fixed on pleasing his Father and doing his Father's will. When he's 12 years old, 
where do we where do mom and dad find him in the father's house doing whose business the father's business he said you should have known where I was I'm about my father's business there's a whole new priority that comes into our lives as followers of Jesus Christ we have a higher purpose for living and that is to bring glory to God to share him with others and uh, to experience him at work in our lives let him be that which satisfies our hearts Jesus continually said his eyes were fixed on Jerusalem I must go to Jerusalem uh, Paul, Paul had it uh, clearly understood in his mind when he, when he said to the Philippians in Philippians 1.21 we put this on Janet's uh, grandmother's uh, uh, tombstone uh, because it really identified the way she lived her life for to me to live is Christ for to me to live is Christ Paul understood it I, have, I really have a purpose in life and that is to live for Christ. Paul puts it another way in 2 Timothy 4. He says, I, in verse 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. He had a higher purpose in his life. Does that mean he didn't do other things? No, he did a lot of other things. Uh, what, did, what did Paul do when he wasn't preaching? He was a tent maker. Yeah. I got to have a feeling that when Paul made a tent, guess what? When you, when you had a tent made by Paul, you went, wow, that was a well-made tent. Okay? I believe God's children ought to be the example of doing the best that we can to bring honor and glory to the Lord. For in everything that you do, do it unto the glory of God. And uh, back when Janet and I were uh, working as uh, uh, cleaners, house cleaners, uh, when I cleaned a commode, can, is he really saying this in the church? Yes. When I cleaned a commode, I wanted the person whose house it was to be able to see their face when they looked in it. You say, well, you, you really wanted that clean? I used to vacuum their walls. I did. I vacuumed their walls. I vacuumed their curtains. I, 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 I did everything the best that I could do because I wanted them to be able to say, there's a Christian who does what Jesus would do. And Paul understood that. Our purpose is, yes, to help others, to do things for others, to whatever your job is. If your job right now is a student, you know what kind of student you ought to be? The best student you can be for the glory of God. We have a whole new purpose. And Jesus, uh, Hebrews 12.2 says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So Jesus had a purpose in coming. And what was his purpose? To die on the cross for our sins. In John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus makes a statement. Now my soul is troubled. And what I, shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's right on the precipice of dying on the cross. Save me from this hour? No. 
But for this purpose I have come to this hour. He understood why he was here. Do you know why you are here? You are here for the glory of God as his child. If we do not do that, he says, then we cannot be his disciples. Okay, let's put it in a positive way. If you are his disciple, if you're really a true follower of Jesus Christ, what will you and I do? We will take up the purpose for which God made us and we will carry that purpose. We'll carry it all the way. We'll do it until God calls us home to be with him. And so that leads me to the third point, and that is there's a price. Now, wait a minute. Is there a price to be a Christian? Well, now the scripture teaches us that salvation is free, <laughs> and it is free, and there's no doubt about it. Christ paid it all, the debt has been paid. What do I owe for that? Really, I don't owe anything except what Jesus says here in verse 33 of Luke 14. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now understand, he, I do believe he's using a metaphor of sorts. He's using a metaphor. Does he, does he mean when you become a follower of Jesus Christ you should sell your house and sell your car and put all your goods out of the street and put a you know and then the money you make off of it you give it to the church well I wish some of you would become Christians today maybe we get a little bit extra money around here I'm just just teasing okay but but what is he saying he, he is saying everything that is precious to you is going to take a back seat to Christ if we're really a follower of Jesus Christ there's going to be a sense in which so many things are going to cost you he uses two illustrations one of a man building a tower and of a, of a king have, sending out his army he says before they go into the project don't, don't forget to count the cost or what will happen? They will they'll ridicule you. Now, if, I, if, if the person who did this is listening online today, because I don't think you're here today, I mean no offense by this. But, but when you go to Orange Beach and you go over the Orange Beach Express, you see on the south side of the uh, canal, you see what? It's called the wharf. It's this humongous place. Where lots of people with either lots of money or lots of debt go. I don't know which they've got. There are big boats out there. They've, they've got big places to sell things. And it's expensive to buy stuff there. And they've got restaurants. And, and people go there by the thousands. And it just amazes me. It's not at the beach. I mean, it's near the beach, but it's not on the beach. And, man, they just go and they go and they have concerts there. But what's on the north side of that, for those of you that go down there? There's an empty shell of buildings, just concrete and steel. 
When, when Pastor Ernie uh, has tried to raise money for children's ministry by collecting uh, steel and metal, I keep thinking, man, brother, if I, could, if I could somehow get some of that steel and bring it to you, we'd, we'd just be able to fund it all. I mean, here, I don't know what happened. But I think to myself, somebody's goofed up really bad. Somebody didn't, didn't have the permits or somebody didn't have the backing. Somebody didn't have the money. Oh, they had the foresight, obviously, because look what happened across the canal. It's a tremendous event. But on the other side, it says somebody didn't count the cost. It would be foolish for us to think to be a follower of Jesus Christ is not costly. It will cost you sometimes family relationships I can remember coming home the evening I was converted uh, and I pulled my dad I went inside and asked my dad to come out I was raised in a what we call a nominal Christian home uh, that means by name only they call themselves Christians but we did not talk about the things of God in our house uh, there was an occasional attendance at church but I truly, as a teenager, expected when I told my dad that I had been saved, I expect to get a beating. That was my expectation. Well, dad didn't do that, but three of my older brothers did. And they made fun of me. And they mocked me. And uh, it cost me relationships with my brothers and my friends that I had in high school when I was so excited about the Lord Jesus Christ and I went back to tell them about Christ and want them to know, man, you can be set free from the penalty of sin in your life by Christ. They cut me off. I'm talking to my best friends. I mean, we're people that, you know, were blood brothers with one another. We would do anything for each other. and Those relationships were cut off. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. It, it's going to cost you some relationships. It's going to cost you some loss of money. I've got a family member that, that reminds me still regularly. If you had kept all of those tithes and offerings that you have given to the church, just think about what kind of house you could live in. Well, I live in a very peaceful, loving, Christ-centered home. May have given up a lot of other things as far as the world is concerned, but you see what Christ is saying, those things are not important to us. Now here's where I'm going to offend some, okay? And I just think if it offends, it offends. We're, we're starting back Sunday night. And, uh, and Sunday night... I'm told again and again it's family night. And this is where it's going to offend. I love what Alistair Begg said, and he's not the one that originated it. I've, I've been hearing it for decades now. But uh, he said that family, uh, Sunday night at church is family night. And I believe that. I believe that to be true. I believe when we come together, we only come together three times a week. You know, and those are family times. 
the church, you know, I think our church is appropriately named Faith Family Fellowship. It's a time that we gather together. Boy, the pastor is really putting it heavy on us to show up tonight. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just telling you what I think the scripture uh, clearly says to us is that the church meets together. We set our priorities not around sports. We don't set it around uh, music. We don't set it around all those other things. We set it around God's kingdom. I used to say this 20 years ago. If all the Christian parents on the baseball team would say, we're not playing on Wednesday night, it would have stopped it. It would have, as Barney used to say, nip it in the bud. And they didn't do it then. And now it's out of control. There, there is nothing in our culture except maybe committed Christians who will say, listen, I love Jesus Christ. And my church gathers together at these times. And we're going to meet. And we're going to be there. Now, if you come back tonight, we're going to be talking about the Lord's return. Uh, got some things to encourage you with about the Lord's return. But I'm going to share with you, we're going to start a new schedule. We're going to try it until uh, Christmas, see how it works. The first Sunday night of the month, uh, we're going to have a... Uh, faith proclamation, and that is uh, uh, faith at proclamation. We're having a teaching time on the first Sunday night. And then when we meet on the second Sunday night, it's going to be faith at prayer. So we're going to have prayer time on the second Sunday night of the month. And uh, then on the, th I think it's the third, uh, I may be getting these backwards in my brain. It's, uh, it's faith at... Uh, participation I can't remember well it has one of those two nights I'm going to show you tonight I don't have it in my notes here one, one night we're going to come together for the purpose of and I use the word participation because that's another translation of the word koinonia which we often translate fellowship so we're going to eat together hey man we're going to have a Sunday night meal time together and, and then we're going to have another Sunday night where we're going to be uh, taking the gospel in some way. We're going to be ministering. It'll be here sometimes in this building. It will involve us going different places at some times, but we're going to do that. And then when we get a fifth Sunday, we're going to follow you. Some of you are old enough to remember what, what churches used to do on the fifth Sunday if you were a country church. It's singing. That's right. We're going to have a worship and testimony time on the fifth Sunday. So I want to invite you to come and be a part of that. And, and then when we're here on Wednesday nights, we've got, we've got uh, uh, men of faith who are meeting. They're going to be meeting in the uh, choir room. That's our men's uh, ministry group. We've got women of faith that are meeting over in Building E, and that's uh, a women's ministry uh, we've got uh, students of faith that are going to be over at the Rock. And then uh, we've got children of faith that are going to be both in uh, Building C and in the preschool. We're going to be 
actively doing what the church is supposed to be doing and that is assembling so that when we leave here we're ready to meet the world that is out there now I realize you're going to say but you don't have child care on Sunday night no I'm running I, I mean I'm getting ready to step on toes all over again okay well we do have child care on Sunday night it's you okay it's just you. Now, maybe we'll have enough people coming and we'll get enough volunteers and we'll be able to start up something else. But it's you. I listen to some old preachers. Love to listen to them. I, I, I listen to their recordings. They're on the Internet. And when I'm listening to them, you know what I hear in the background? I hear kids. I mean, it's in, in, invariable. Some of the most famous people that you have known or have, have heard of back in the 50s and the 40s when they're preaching, they're kids and nobody's concerned. If your kid is bothering somebody else, it may be an opportunity for that person to say, you know, I'm not serving. Maybe I ought to be serving and helping take care of kids during this time. It, it, it may be that... Uh, there's some pride in your own heart that needs to be dealt with that says, you know what? I, I, I don't want to come on Sunday night because my kid may act up. Get over it. Do you know what kids do? Act up. Do you know what kids do? Squirm. God put it in them to squirm. Okay? It's your job to beat it out of them. I'm just... I'm just kidding, okay? <laughs> the last thing I'm going to say on that is, if, if, you know, if taking them out for a few minutes doesn't settle it all, bring them to the preacher. And you think I'm kidding. And I really mean it. I don't know what I would do. But you know what? It would be interesting. You want to make Sunday night interesting? Just, just bring your kid that's ADD, ADHD, JJJ, whatever letters you want to put behind them. And then just say, I can't handle him, preacher. Here he is, okay? Because when you look at Jesus, what did children do with Jesus? They came to him. And when they came to him, what did he do with them? He taught them. It would really be interesting to see if I've got enough smarts about me that if you brought ten kids up here that were un, you couldn't control, what would the preacher do? Could he teach those kids in front of you? And if I, if I did, maybe you would learn something. Amen? All right. I'm sorry. Last, and I've got to be quick on the last one. And that is, I think the last part is about perseverance. Perseverance. And I know my time is gone. It says, let's just look at it. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Let me ask you a quick question. Can salt lose its saltiness? The answer is no. Do you know what? Salt is one of the most stable uh, compounds on the planet. It is. What is Jesus saying then? Salt does not lose its saltiness. If it could lose its saltiness, what value would it be? None. Toss it out. 
It could be that he's referring to the way they, they would get salt in those days because, you know, we're very much spoiled in our day. When you need salt, where do you go? You go to the grocery store. And oftentimes they would gather it up. And when they would gather it up, let's say on the shore of the Dead Sea, what would be in the salt? Impurities. And what would they do? Do you know what they did? They would put that, that, that salt mixed in with dirt and whatever else it was and they would put it in like a sieve and then you know what they would do? They would run water through it. And when they ran water through it, what happened to the salt? Yeah, it, 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 it was united, it was diluted in the water and they caught it in a pan and then what did they do with it? They let the pan the water in the pan dry and what did they have salt what did they do with the other stuff tossed it out Christians be Christians be salt persevere keep going walk with Christ quickly how do I do that by the gift of grace from God that is the only way you and I can do it our purity and our holiness comes from a gift from God you and I need to respond to His grace and grow in grace. We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. We are purified by grace. And there needs to be an unadulterated pursuit of God Himself in our lives and keeping the impurities out of our lives. And then lastly, there needs to be a passion for the cross. I believe that having a passion for what Christ did on the cross of Calvary keeps us moored as we should be to the Lord. I say that because when Thomas came to see Jesus after his resurrection and he saw the wounds that Jesus had endured to bring our salvation, what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God, it'll keep you moored to Christ. I'm going to close with this hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the th vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them through His blood. See from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown. Huh. So were the whole realm of nature mine that were present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. It demands my soul, my life, my all. The Apostle Paul said, may it never be that I boast in anything except Jesus Christ and his cross would you come to Christ would you yield to Christ would you make him the priority of your life would you understand yeah salvation is free but it will cost you but he will restore it like he did Job greater than ever before let's pray together Lord as we come to this time of response I know some of the things that I've said. Lord, if anything I've said is Joel, 
I just pray that you cause hearing ears to be deaf in the same way you called deaf ears to hear. But oh, I pray that the Spirit of God would take your word and make it applicable to our hearts, our souls. May it be like that sword that does its spiritual surgery in us, that Christ would be Lord, that the end of our day it'll be said, well done, good and faithful servant. And it'll be for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.